Welcome back, everyone, to Red Spotlight. I'm your host, Alexis Soto, and I am joined today by me, myself, and I um, here on Red Spotlight. This is going to be episode number 471. Um... Evidently, I have been abandoned by my panelists, the usual people who are here, uh, in order to go see The Lord of the Rings, evidently having a, a some kind of run on theaters, and so um, it's just going to be me here, and uh, this is going to be the final episode in the lead-up to uh, the nominations being announced on Tuesday morning uh, for the... I believe they're the 96th Academy Awards. Um, I'm not even sure if I said my name at the top. <laughs> I'm Alexis. Of course, if you watch or listen to the show, you know who I am at this point. Um, and you know, of course, what this show is, the place uh, that brings you everything coming out of the world of movies and more. Um, and of course, um, these last few weeks and months have been some pretty seismic events for movies, of course, because we're in the midst of awards season. And yeah, we're kind of getting down to the home stretch here. We've had a couple of awards, but we're now getting to the final nominees. Um, and we're going to be able to get a chance to see who it was that was selected uh, for the final round here for the, the biggest show, of course, which is the Oscars. Um, and it's kind of funny because if you're not aware of the fact, well, I said 5 a.m. because or 5.30, I think, because they have this really strange tradition of just... Um, deciding that the best time of the day to announce what those nominees should be are literally that early in the morning. Although I, th I think that the reason for why that even is is because if you think about it in the East Coast, um, uh, 5 a.m. is basically 8 a.m. over there. And so I guess for them, it's not that out of the ordinary. But for us here who are in the West Coast, it's really, really inconvenient, I would say. Um, but um, I don't well, I shouldn't say I don't. And for the last two years, I, I think I've I've gone to the trouble of like actually waking up because I am one of those people who just likes to see um, what is announced um, early. Not for all of the the the, um, the awards, but for for this one in particular because um, I feel like if you've been following this show, I mean that show uh, for quite some time, you will know that there are always a bit of surprises. Um, in categories that you at least expected and with names that you at least expected from. So uh, what we're going to do today is just have a conversation about what we think that's going to look like, um, who we think is kind of like ahead in the game right now, who's in danger of like being left out, um, and any other kinds of uh, rants that uh, you, um, I'm sure you are more than familiar with. Uh, if you are a longtime listener and uh, viewer of this show. So, uh, yeah, that's where we are at today. Um, so the last podcast that we had was kind of like this deep dive into the history of the Golden Globes and uh, why uh, a lot of us on this channel, uh, you know, really do like them more so than any of the other um, people in the space. Um, but then we also had a whole review of the show, why that <laughs> failed. Also, um, what we thought of the winners and, uh, we kind of went through the category by category basis of like, you know, what won, what lost and where we kind of felt where things were going. Um, and a couple of things have actually, well, not a couple, a lot of things have happened since, 
um, that particular podcast. I know that at the time of the recording, um, it was recorded at least a few days after the show, and we had already gotten the SAG nominations, and I believe the PGA nominations, um, and DGA nominations. Um, but the big thing that has happened um, between then and now are, well, the Critics' Choice Awards happened, and then, of course, the BAFTA nominees were um, announced. Um, and I guess it's fitting, honestly, um, that this is uh, the particular time that I'm going to go ahead and talk about these two, and that I'm just alone because I don't really feel <laughs> that anybody else in this channel really has the kind of hatred I have for both the Critics' Choice and for both um, BAFTA. Uh, for various reasons. Um, I guess uh, this is what it must feel like to be a Globes hater, um, because I really do despise um, BAFTA and Critics' Choice. Like, I was actually listening to a podcast earlier today. Um, I think it was on Christian Harloff's channel, I think John Roca, who, you know, I don't necessarily, um, again, I don't go out of my way to hate watch certain personalities. I, I actually do enjoy a fair amount of the commentary that Harloff and Roca have to offer. Um, even oftentimes when I find myself completely at odds with what they feel and what they think. But I look, I, I, I fully uh, believe that Roca believes that the organizations that he belongs to are, um, at least in spirit, attempting to um, really be a reputable group that people should take seriously and that have... Um, a lot more weight and impact um, as far as this award season is concerned. Um, and the scandal kind of broke out with the Hollywood Creative Alliance, which were formerly known as the Hollywood Critics Association, which also has a lot of overlap with the Critics' Choice Awards. Not completely, but there is some overlap there. And evidently there were um, some, I believe the Critics' Choice ended up... Um, reaching out to all of their members that if they also happen to have a membership to Hollywood Creative Alliance that they need to pick one or the other because they they claim they received information from one of the studios that the head of the HCA, Scott Menzel, had um, evidently suggested or insinuated that he may be able to influence the voting per se um, if he were able to... Um, I'm not too familiar with the particulars, but it was very much a quid pro quo, quid pro quo, quid pro quo situation that I'm sure is very commonplace in um, anywhere that's America and anywhere that's the world, anywhere that's really infiltrated and you know, you know, um, uh, motivated by money and influence and power. And that's kind of what we all are. So it's like it's it's really a tale all the time. It's not anything new. It's not really surprising in the least. Um, but yeah, there were also. Um, I guess some people who were bringing drinks to celebrities at the Critics' Choice Awards and ended up, I don't know, being connected to this in some way. I'm not quite sure myself, honestly. But the idea is that the Critics' Choice was so outraged by this decision. And right now, nothing seems to have come of it. Um, and I don't seemingly believe that there's any kind of, uh, I don't believe there's any kind of change that may or may not be happening. But I I just feel that it's rich that um, this particular organization um, and their affiliations are finding themselves in some kind of scandal that isn't also 
dissimilar from uh, the scandal that kind of rocked, or not necessarily that particular scandal, but some of the scandals that have rocked the globe's history throughout the last few decades. Um, it, it, it once again, I think in real time, um, validates our group and what we have said and what particularly I said last week and that, you know, all of these particular people are um, kind of the same. And it's I, I just feel like it is uh, really naive to pretend that every organization did not exactly um, function as the Globes. And I've also said that the Critics' Choice themselves, I mean, now as a separate thing, Roka went on Harlov's show recently and he was praising the Critics' Choice as um, saying that they're the group that is known for, um, you know, bucking whichever way the wind is blowing and then they pick who they like and um, don't necessarily take anything else into consideration. And I, I, I no doubt believe that he feels that way. And maybe the people who he is familiar with who are in that um, critics group also themselves feel that way. But that isn't necessarily what the history of the Critics' Choice has really shown us. Uh, there's a reason why a lot of people were actually predicting that in the lead-up to the awards, they may, in and of it, they may even split... Uh, best picture with Oppenheimer and Barbie because they are the organization that has the most ties. You know, it's kind of funny because um, I had mentioned last week that the Globes or the old Globes would have to sit with each other, all of them, watch it together and then discuss. And I think more so than anybody else, they were the ones who were really talking to each other about like how they were going to come to the nominations and who they're going to award. But it seems like um, with the Critics' Choice... Um, more of that may have been happening because of all of these ties. There was that year where Glenn Close and Lady Gaga tied for Best Actress because they didn't want to commit to one or the other, and both could have won for the Oscar. And that's one of the other things that they're so preoccupied with is being known as the ones who predict or the most predictive of uh, whichever way the Academy is going to go. Um which, I mean, may or may not happen. I mean, we'll see if Saltburn gets a Best Picture nomination. It's not, um, obviously, uh, going to happen. There was another year, of course, where they revealed their 10 uh, best films, and then a week later, they had to go meet and change their minds to add one more film, an 11th film, which in and of itself was unprecedented, but it ended up being The Force Awakens because they didn't want to, they didn't get the was screening in time and they were all seemingly convinced that it was going to be assured of an Oscar nomination and they weren't the only ones but because they're most concerned with being the most predictive they were like well we got to go back and add this one in and again this is the group that keeps their voting open until after the Globes have happened so that they can you know see the playing field and gauge for themselves whether or not um, they want to go along with uh, what is won or if they want to um, go a different way. So I, I I don't buy this idea that somehow the Critics' Choice are a noble group, and I'm not at all surprised that scandal has broken out. And I welcome um, the uh, mountain of crap that is heading their way, especially because as a show, I do got to say, they've always kind of been quite boring. Um, and even Roka himself said it on his show, The Hot Mic, with um, uh, Snyder, uh, which is uh, he himself, to his credit, said that he felt some kind of revulsion on his part 
uh, of this notion. The one time he did go to the Critics' Choice, which is back in 2019, he mentioned, but the, this idea that these critics are sitting alongside these filmmakers, these actors who... Um, and then they, they spend the entirety of the show going up to them and having, you know, pictures and selfies. And these the critics are supposed to be, ideally anyway, impartial. There's no such thing. But ideally, they're supposed to at least give off the appearance of that. And uh, he had uh, said on his show that he was um, really taken aback by that and really didn't want to be a part of that whole scene. Um, but... Um, yeah, but I, w I would just say that as a presentation, the Critics' Choice Awards have never really had any kind of um, identity, really. Uh, I've been watching um, award shows all of my life, but these particular movie award shows, the Golden Globes, Screen Actors Guild, the Critics' Choice, the Oscars, I've been watching those for just about 10 years now, maybe even a little over, uh, a little more than that. And um, I think to me, all of them have their distinctive characteristics and quirks, but this broadcast, not so much. Um, and they've, I think they've been on different networks. They've tried different things. It, it doesn't help that they host their ceremony in this large airport hangar, and uh, there's just so much noise. So it's a huge space. Um, it doesn't help that there were so many categories that half of them are announced you know as ha either i think they're announced during the commercial break or as they go to commercial break they announce like five categories like oh oppenheimer won these five awards or oh barbie won these four awards which actually did happen by the way um and then that doesn't even get into the tv um prizes that weren't even presented on air so that's also just kind of like not cool um so yeah, it, it's just like, it's it's very bland. Um, and I got to commend Chelsea Handler for um, trying to give it some kind of flavor. Um, I think on some level she succeeded, but on the whole, it's just a, it's just a, it's kind of, it's, it's a snooze. I was planning on watching the whole thing. I ended up only watching, I think, 45 minutes or the last or so, 45 minutes, and it just was... It was very boring. Um, I will say, though, it wasn't as boring as the Emmys, which were the following day. Um, and good God, uh, if if you thought I, I, I seemed exhausted of the idea of Succession, The Bear, and Beef winning everything back when it was just the Globes, well, guess what happened? The Critics' Choice and the Emmys were like literally one day apart, and it was the exact same shows and the exact same people winning the exact same categories. And I, this, this again, just, just ranting off into a different direction. I, I, I am getting really tired of these unnecessarily um, dominating sweeps. Um, it, it, it's like, especially this is why I have such huge issues with um, these groups when it comes to awarding TV. It's like you're saying that there were only three shows of last year that meant anything? It, it, it's so unbelievably boring. The Emmys in and of itself was boring. Um, the Critics' Choice were very boring. And, even, and I think the people at that were in those rooms themselves were quite bored. Uh, I thought what was the most 
what was the funniest part of the night was um, the color purple table um, was kind of like they they posted on social media their reactions to getting handed their dinner uh, for being there, which was just a pizza in a bag. It was so bizarre that even um, uh, what's his name, Paul Giamatti, had referenced that in his acceptance speech later that night. Um, so and it, it was so unbelievable. And they also were were given this charcuterie box of which didn't really have that much of anything. So even Emily Blunt, I believe, I don't know if she put it on social or, or someone had gotten a comment from her and she had mentioned that she was going to take RDJ to In-N-Out Burger later that night, uh, which RDJ also apparently said he had never been. And you got to wonder, wh- wh- what do these celebrities do that you've never been to In-N-Out Burger? That's That's a strange thing to me. But yeah, evidently that menu was, uh, it bombed hard as well. Um, Handler had a decent monologue. I would say if you're going to, if you're going to compare it to the worst monologue of all time, which is at the Globes, of course, it's much better. Uh, she got one big laugh when it came to that. Um, uh, she referenced uh, that her writers uh, had, uh, she thinks she said that, thank you for laughing at that. My writers came up with that joke. And of course, everybody in the room got what she was talking about. So yeah, but still, it, it was like probably too long and um, not necessarily having the bite. I mean, it was unhinged. It was her personality. And I think in and of itself, that was fine. But it it, it did not have the bite that I particularly look for in these kind of monologues. So that in and of itself was a wash. And then a lot of the winners are just the same. So again, it was just pretty boring. But there were some seismic differences um, that kind of um, really began to turn the race a little bit. Um, in particular, with uh, the four, well, with two of the four acting categories, and that Paul Giamatti beat Killian Murphy in actor, and that Emma Stone defeated Gladstone in actress. Um, and it really honestly was looking the night going into it that Killian and Gladstone might have well just been, you know, completely season long sweepers. And that's not happening. And it didn't happen, at least um, with that Critics Choice. Of course, there's still SAG and BAFTA to go before we even get to the Oscars. But when it came to Critics Choice, those were um, really needed wins to prevent Gladstone and Murphy from sweeping. Um it's it's funny because I do feel that ultimately Murphy and Gladstone um are better performances and should win. Um at the same time, Giamatti and Stone are amazing performances and they're also deserving of winning. So this is kind of what happens when you have a really stacked year. Um, but it kind of gets your mind thinking about a couple of different things. And this is before we even get to the BAFTA part of it with these two races. Um, Giamatti is endlessly charming on that stage. Um, and he doesn't really say anything that's really of note or really all that interesting, but he just brings this warmth and this charm to him. And he's also just been a veteran, um, in this industry for such a long time, um, that it kind of gets your head thinking that this won't necessarily be his first time being nominated. He has been more overlooked. This will also be Killian Murphy's first Oscar nomination for actor. Um, the thing is, it, it, it really does come down to, 
is Oppenheimer going to be a sweeper the way that Everything Everywhere All at Once was? I think it is. But even if we're going to go with that scenario, I'm thinking it's going to win nine Oscars, but it also could be a situation where it wins eight, and one of the big losses it has that night would be to actor because of how much love there is for Paul Giamatti. And that's something we got to look out for. And um, I feel like if I were to be put in a position to seriously pick which one has an edge, I'm thinking it may be Paul. I think it might be his time. And I think if he wins the Screen Actors Guild for Best Actor, that might be all she wrote for that one. Um, because the SAG in recent years have has had amazing influence, in particular to the acting races. Don't forget last year, Jamie Lee Curtis, out of nowhere, uh, one supporting actress, and then um, because it came after all the other ones that was most in Oscar voters' minds, and then that ended up being where she won the Academy Award, after all, for Best Supporting Actress that last year. But then again, that was a situation where that movie was so beloved that it literally won three out of the four acting races. Um, and it won seven Oscars that night. And Oppenheimer is a much more traditionally uh, accessible film to Academy voters than Everything Everywhere All at Once was, to the point where I'm thinking it's going to at least get seven or eight wins. Um, maybe even nine if, if, if Killian, in fact... Because Killian could be literally um, carried over. But it's kind of, it's sad to think that of all the wins, this is going to be the hardest one for it to actually win. And I think to me, I feel like of all of the things it's going to get, Oppenheimer, this is the one that is easily the most deserving. Um, perhaps picture um, an actor, but I think those are the ones that it truly deserves to win. All the other ones, I mean, there are more than enough alternatives out there um, for winners. But I, I do feel that with Killian, it's kind of like a situation where like last year, I loved everything everywhere all at once. And I love the fact that it, you know, won all these things. Um, but to me, it's like more so than even picture or director or screenplay. The things that I think everybody got behind was that it for sure needs to win for supporting actor and for lead actress, because those two are the heart and soul of the film. Um, and more than anything, their wins mattered more, I think, to us in particular than a picture win or a director win. Um, so, but there there was a long while there last year where, where it really was kind of uncertain if Michelle Yeoh would even be carried along despite or in spite of um, that movie even winning Best Picture. So, um that's kind of like what it's going to come down to. It's going to come down to the love for Oppenheimer versus the love for Giamatti. And I think we're going to, we're going to have a much better idea. I think um, when it comes to when we get closer to the Oscars, because I think at this point where this race is going, it might very well be that Paul ends up winning SAG, but that Murphy, him being a Brit, and him also being the fact that um, BAFTAs literally went out of their way to eliminate all of their contenders, um, it, it, I think there's a really good chance Murphy is going to win the hometown BAFTA. Um, 
well, I shouldn't say he's a Brit, but he's necessarily he's around the United Kingdom. It's affiliated with it, so it's like, you know, um, I don't, I don't want to promote Irish erasure here, but I, you know what I mean here. Um, last year, Barry Keoghan defeated Kihoi Kwan for supporting actor. Carrie Condon also won, so it's like Banshees did really well. A lot of the cast is United Kingdom affiliated, you could say. So there you go. Um. So yeah, and then actress is a different situation. It's actually kind of really interesting because um, uh, what has happened these last few days has kind of been surprising, and at the same time. Not that surprising, but also at the same time, you're not really quite sure what's behind um, Lily Gladstone all of a sudden hitting a wall. Um, I will say that I think to me, if we're going to be in a, in a position where we're thinking critically about, okay, this race and the factors and the conditions that have existed throughout the entirety of this race... I'm going to rewind to my thinking back in November, October, when Lily Gladstone made the choice to in, to switch from running and supporting instead to running the lead actress. Um, and there was this big blow up, including from us here, that she kind of made a terrible decision because she threw away a guaranteed win, similarly to what happened the year before when Michelle Williams threw away a guaranteed win and instead of running and supporting she chose to run and lead and the thing is this i feel like um you only ever get to i know look i i do not dislike jamie lee curtis i love <laughs> jamie lee curtis i love her role in the film i love that film i am not one of these people who are like that's one of the worst winners in that category ever was she my pick no, I feel like literally everybody else in that category was more deserving. I like Angela. She probably should have won. I would not personally have voted for her because I think Stephanie Shu, Hong Chao, Carrie Condon um, were far better. But it's semantics. You know, we never would have been talking about Carrie or Angela or Jamie if it wasn't for the fact that Michelle Williams was far more concerned with where the um, the image of her career was going. I feel like, uh, based on what has been speculated, she ultimately felt, Michelle Williams, that it would do some damage to her career if she had remained in supporting and did not want to be seen by Hollywood as a supporting actress only. And so it came down to a, a decision of optics as to being seen as a leading lady um, in this business. Um, and she did get the nominations, but she was missing a couple of them. You know, it, it harmed her. I mean, she herself ended up being snubbed, I believe by SAG, um, because of this whole lead supporting switcheroo. Um, I feel like that, that there are substantial arguments to be made about whether or not certain actors are considered leads or supporting in, um, in their Oscar campaigns. But I just feel at the end of the day, an Oscar campaign is for first and foremost, most concerned with winning. At least it should be. And I feel like, you know, I'm not blaming Michelle Williams for 
making a personal decision for herself and her career. I understand it. I get it. But I will blame her in the idea that she hurt. She she did a lot more harm than just lose an Oscar and lose literally a Golden Globes award, a SAG award, a Critics' Choice, and a BAFTA. She would have won all of it. The uh, the same way Dave I and Joy Randolph is winning right now, she would have dominated last year. And she threw it away. And I guess the idea to me is, wouldn't your career have benefited if you were known as Academy Award winning Michelle Williams instead of Academy Award nominee Michelle Williams? Yeah, the logic behind this, I don't know. But she hurt her entire film um, because she cost... So much of this race is shaped by the pundits on their channels and on their podcasts and who the and the voters are connected with and who they speak with. And they were saying, well, you know, how seriously can we take the Fablemans as a best picture contender if we can't even have at least one guaranteed win of Michelle Williams? If she had remained and if she had kept winning, there would have been more arguments for that film to have remained in the conversation. And when you remain in the conversation, you continue to get nominated. You continue to show up and it may also manufacture other wins down the line. But she didn't do that. Okay. Anyway. Gladstone has found considerably more fortune in this decision because the critics really showed up for her she was winning literally she was just sweeping the majority of the regional critics prizes for best actress um one particular group i believe it was lafka they were among the only ones to nominate her for supporting rather than lead which i guess looking back on that might have been a telltale sign about how some people may be feeling but it seemed like most people were like, okay, cool. We want to give Lily something because she was great. We like her personally. So we don't even care um, if it's Lee or supporting. We're going to go all in for her. And before the, the, the wins started setting in, I just felt really, really unsure of a number of of industry people going for that idea because she very clearly is not the lead of that movie. Um, I guess you can make more so an argument that Michelle Williams was more of a lead in Fablements, but still, the lead was Gabriel LaBelle, which, if we could pause real quick, um, and I'm so glad we're here at this moment because I have some things to say, um, because if I don't say it, I'm going to be screaming on the inside for now until the end of time. I still am going to, I still am, no matter what, but I just, I got to say this. Um, what the fuck? Why is it that Dominic Sessa, who, by the way, is incredible, and turned in one of the absolute best acting debuts anyone's ever seen in The Holdovers, and absolutely should be in the conversation for nominations for supporting actor. Why is it that 
he is being taken far more seriously. And he is being nominated at places. But Gabrielle Bell was not. Gabrielle Bell had an equally, if not more so, impressive debut. He actually led his film. And I think to me, it's, it's, it, this is why it's so important to understand how critical it is, how critical of a role these critics and these pundits and these Oscarologists play in setting the tone for the, for the race. You know, I think there is a legitimate argument in the power of persuasion, and that happens here in this race all the time. And, and it happens every single year. Think how much more Spider-Verse could have done in this race if it wasn't so eliminated off the bat. Now, I, I grant you, and I, I was thinking the exact same way. Why would any serious-minded person who predicts this for a living seriously consider an animated film to get into Best Picture when they haven't done that in over 10 years? I understand. I get it. But if you keep talking about it as the best movie of the year and you keep promoting it and you keep, you know, saying... Don't just go along with it and just say it's ridiculous. You should be thinking about this as one of the best of the year. If you keep saying that enough times, that is going to have meaningful impact. That's my thinking anyway. And so it did serious harm to Gabriel LaBelle that off the bat last year because of his age, because of his, I guess, um, first movie ever role, despite the fact that he was in a front runner film for best picture this is a top five movie for best picture that ended up getting seven academy award nominations despite all that not one time was he seriously considered as a potential upset to sneak into that five for best actor and it's just it was never mentioned but we in we were just so obsessed with uh other two names Getting that last fifth spot. Tom Cruise for Top Gun Maverick. Or Paul Mescal for After Sun. And Paul Mescal ultimately ended up getting that nominee, but not nomination. But do you know why? Because the power of persuasion. The pundits kept pushing and pushing and pushing for that. He's also just happens to be a really popular young guy he was also a young i thought we can't nominate young guys and lead actor oops i guess that was full of shit because we just did it with after sun and the reason why was because his name was in the news the entire time <sighs> and why was his name in the news the entire time Oh, uh, because it was announced that he was going to star in the next Gladiator 2 movie. And it's the same, it's the same bullshit of like, oh, look at the whale. It's doing pretty well at the box office. It didn't make all that much, but it's doing pretty well. You know, all things considered, it's like the, 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 the straws that so many of them, they, they grasp onto, to, you know, prop it up. It's like, honestly, a lot of award season is just like making up math. To make it sound like this movie's ahead and then 
the 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 lack of conversation for other films is a death sentence. That's ultimately what this is. And it's, this is my frustration. It's like, it always just comes down to the things that I like the best that end up not getting the favor of these people. um, And they end up getting screwed because like, in in what world are we, and even, even in the podcasts that I hear a whole year later, they keep, they keep saying that, oh, Best Actor was so weak last year. The only other alternatives were like Tom Cruise and Paul Mescal. And like, it was not. It, it absolutely was not. But you definitely willed that into existence, didn't you? But if you had been propping up LaBelle the same way you had propped up uh, Mescal, I wonder what would have happened. I wonder what would have happened. So, please, going back to Michelle and Lily, um, so, even though it was beginning to look like she was about to dominate completely, and it definitely gave off a little bit of that impression when she won at the Golden Globes, on top of winning so many regional critics prizes, um, there was always something that lingered in the back of my mind back in November. And I think it's kind of starting to uh, come. Well, it already has it's really in effect started to come to fruition in a bit. Um, the race is not over, by the way. I do want to be clear about that. There's no winner being declared, but the idea is it is an open race. And I feel strongly that part of the reason it's an open race is because there are enough people in the industry out there who do not see this performance as a lead performance. And they're also... Um, may, as it turns out, be enough people in the industry who feel that the film that she's in is not something that they are going to prioritize to give an award to, or just um, didn't necessarily care about it all that much in comparison to others. That's, I think, what may be transpiring here, because um, on Golden Globes night, both Emma Stone and Gladstone won their respective um, genre categories. But on the Critics' Choice, it's kind of a shocker. I was expecting it to be a sweep at that point because, well, it looked like, but as I said last time, underestimate Emma Stone at your own peril. And what happened? She ended up winning and surprising everybody, including herself. Now, I think as some people have observed, it is fair to say that she kind of gave the the Kate Blanchett suicide speech because I think ultimately what happened at last year's Critics' Choice, Kate Blanchett also beat Michelle Yeoh, who ended up winning the Oscar Michelle Yeoh. But when Kate Blanchett went up there, she basically gave a speech that was all the equivalent to, I don't want to win this, so I'm going to use this speech to prop up everybody else. Bye. And then she never won again. She was never heard from again. That was it. Um, Emma Stone didn't necessarily come on that strong. I mean, she started off giving like Lily and uh, Carrie and Greta and all these other people in her category and Margot, she was shouting them out. But then she actually turned it around into a really good acceptance speech and thanking her team and Yorgo Lanthimos. Um, so even if... Even when she won, it was like, oh, but she gave a Kate Blanchett suicide speech. That might not, might, that might actually encourage some voters to like 
think it's okay that they have Emma's permission to vote for Lily instead. So it's like, okay, well, it's still not necessarily um, that well-known at this point what's going to go. But then something far more substantial happened, which was um, the British Academy, the Baptists, um, had their own um, nominations. These are also people who I hate because um, last year, for whatever reason, they um, did not like the Fablemans. They only nominated it for one thing. Um, they have had a track record of, of the last 20 years of being very anti-Spielberg. He did not get even... He wasn't even on the long list or the short list, I should say, for best director, which made everybody else in the pundit space completely change their track about who could win. And as soon as they repeat the same things over and over and over again, what happened? Spielberg dropped in the odds and the Daniels rose and that's all she wrote and that was a sweep and really... The BAFTAs deserve the most credit for um, assassinating Steven Spielberg's chances um, at winning Best Director last year. And that's uh, something that I will never forgive them for. Um, I know it's not that serious. Get a grip. But um, I take this stuff to heart. So, I mean, you best believe if one of... Look, I take the same approach. I think as most people would. If one of your favorites ends up being like completely eviscerated by a group... Um, you're not going to forget that. And you shouldn't forget that. Because what happened this year? Oh, they went yet again for another one of mine. Um, in a way that when I read the tweet that morning, I was like, oh yeah, that's totally the shit they would pull. That's totally the shit they would do to me. So it ended up being that dis even though they nominated Flower Moon for nine awards to BAFTAs, it ended up being omitted, that means left off, in three major categories, actually four major categories. One of those was actually not, not that big of a surprise. Um, Leo was not included in, in Best Actor. And I, I do want to say, because I'm going to share some of my predictions later on, I am very... It's, I feel it's going to be unfortunate that if Leo ends up being left off Best Actor, it's only going to validate, you know, this popular idea that he is not really all that special in Flower Moon. And I fundamentally just disagree. I think he gave one of his best performances in that movie, but that's not how it's being seen. That's not how it's going to be seen once that terrible thing happens. But he was left off Best Actor. They didn't nominate Martin Scorsese in the screenplay or in the directing category. We're here again. Just a personal attack, um, literally. And then even go, going even further, they chose to not nominate Lily Gladstone for Best Lead Actress in a category that had six names in it. If Killers of the Flower Moon ends up being the Fableman's 
and walks away from the Oscars with 10 plus nominations and zero wins. They have no one to thank but the BAFTAs for personally delivering that defeat to them. Which makes it the second year in a row where they completely fuck over my favorite movie. <laughs> oh, man. You know, um, I think Peter may have been on to something about these Brits. I got to tell you. Um, and he, he himself, I was texting with him um, when these nominations came out. And I believe he said some, something to the effect of like how... The race is going pretty nice, and then the bath just completely fuck everything over. And, yeah, that's kind of what happens. And so now we're at a point where, you know, there, there's no question that Lily is going to get the nomination, but is she now going to get the win is even even more of an open question. Um, because the Critics' Choice is a loss that can absolutely be withstood. Um, even losing the BAFTA could have been withstood, but not even getting nominated for the BAFTA and not even being saved by that jury process is eye-opening. Um, now, this could end up backfiring in a different way and end up you know, bolstering support for Lily because of how uh, things have panned out, but it does suggest that there are gaps in her support throughout the industry as we've been going along. And the more we've been going along in this season, and as we've heard from all of the groups now, um, her frontrunner status is in serious jeopardy at this point. It, it's actually, I think some people have already gone over and, and put Emma in first. And I got to say, I mean, I don't, we don't see... I don't see poor things winning too much of anything. I feel like, um, I think someone put it uh, quite plainly, poor things and Flower Moon are kind of battling out for its one and only win in the actress category, which I think is absolutely absurd because both films are among the best of the, of the year and should be in contention for more than just one win. At the same time, Oppenheimer's getting eight or nine wins. Fucking ridiculous. Um, when I say fucking ridiculous, I mean, not that Oppenheimer isn't deserving of those wins. I'm just like, well, why does it get to have that many and some other great films get to have nothing? That's the point, ultimately. <sighs> i never forget, of course, that the BAFTAs, they were the ones who were responsible for um, really bolstering All Quiet on the Western Front, a, w a film that is just like a, just like a nothing, nothing, nothing. And because of that, I ended up winning four Oscars. Because again, BAFTA, this is, the, this is the thing that's the most upsetting, is that BAFTA, more than any of the other groups, has the most overlap in membership with the Academy Awards. So a lot of those BAFTA people and their taste, quote-unquote, is going to infiltrate uh, and actually break through and, and heavily sway what some of those results are going to be at the Academy, which is why ended, the Academy ended up giving All Quiet on the Western Front four awards including for best score the blah 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 that ended up that that was just that one score over literally everything else and we have the baftas to thank for that personally so 
I don't know. I I don't, and no one should anticipate this affecting the nominations that Flower Moon will receive, but it does heavily damage uh, its ability to actually win anything um, due to these omissions. Um, and again, the power of persuasion. This whole weekend, uh, these same people are going on their shows and unveiling their Oscar nominations, and guess what's happening? All of a sudden, all these people are uh, not including Eric Roth and Scorsese's screenplay for Flower Moon in adapted screenplay. All of a sudden, its uh, its perceived weakness at BAFTA is uh, giving them reason to kick it out. Not that at this point it would change much of anything uh, for the voting, but it does change its perception for how much of a contender it'll actually be when the voting for wins starts to happen. So, again, that's just even more damage on top of it. So... Yeah, um, the the BAFTAs, I will say, though, did uh, some good with films like Anatomy of a Fall and The Zone of Interest getting a lot of support, both films that are very much deserving of um, the attention that they're getting. I know that I have not seen Zone yet. It's one of the few contenders that I have not seen, but Anatomy I have, and it is a great movie. Um, and I'm very happy to see some support. Um, and, you know, I, and it goes to show you, by the way, that, again, you know, a lot of people want to dismiss the Golden Globes as uh, having no sense of relevancy or impact. But no one was expecting that win for screenplay at all. It was sixth in the odds on Gold Derby. It won. And now guess what? After that, and the it ended up being indicative of support widespread in the industry, and now it is being favored as the winner for original screenplay at the Academy Awards. Oops, I guess that's a little bit influential. Hmm. Uh, but and if it does, congratulations, because it's very much deserving of. But it's also being talked about for nominations in editing and picture, and then also in director for Justine Triette, uh, which is also kind of funny to me because, of course, um, that is just rubbing in rubbing in the face of France, who stupidly made the decision to not select that as their official film, so it doesn't even have a chance to be nominated for, for uh, international film because that wasn't their submission. Which, again, I've actually been going through a lot of the selections for international films lately, and I do think that this particular year is a banner year for amazing international films that it is time to completely overhaul this particular category. The idea that a country only gets to submit one movie for the Academy is ridiculous. I think Peter was correct. Extend that up to five because Japan had a good four or five films that should have been considered. Um, and France evidently was, you know, this also was the reason why RRR wasn't even in this category last year because... India didn't select it. They had something else that no one even heard of and no one ever will because of that. Didn't even get nominated. So, absolutely embarrassing. There's also even some predictions that suggest that Japan's choice, Perfect Days, as good as it may be, I haven't seen it yet, may itself find it being left off the list. 
um, for other uh, films that uh, Japan had, like Godzilla Minus One or The Boy and the Heron. Ridiculous. Um, so, yeah. And then there's the other thing. This whole Barbie situation. Which, if I'm going to be honest with you, I, I kind of <laughs> am really sad about because um, it between the BAFTAs not going that crazy for it and then these pot shots that apparently were taken at by um, Ruben Osland. Yeah, good choice picking that guy to be nominated for director the other year. Uh, saying that it was like attacking it, basically. I'm not sure what the comments were, but you know, they were. I, I read them and they were very negative. Uh, it is indicative of something that we had suspected and we had feared from the first day we saw that film that there was going to be significant gaps in its support, that there were going to be a number of members in the Academy who were just going to fundamentally reject that film as a serious movie and therefore a serious contender. And unfortunately, due to these developments, and even despite the fact that Greta has gotten in mostly everywhere except for this BAFTAs, most people have now... Um, eliminated their support for her and are predicting her to be left off the final five directors nominated, which I feel is maybe more so than any of the other ones. This one is just gonna be a bad look because how can it not? Um, Barbie's gonna receive a lot of nominations. Um, I don't think it's gonna win much of anything. Uh, and I'm not even saying Greta was ever going to win, but she ended up creating one of the u most unique cinematic experiences ever put to screen and ended up turning in a beloved art, you know, or auteur movie uh, wrapped around a blockbuster uh, for Quadrant Picture um, and, it, and somehow ended up working. The idea that this even exists and works the way that it does is a directorial feat in and of itself and should be considered as such. And it's not, evidently. And that honestly kind of breaks my heart. I feel like Greta getting snubbed for director kind of even feels a bit worse than if Margot were to end up getting snubbed for actress. Although on the other hand, because Margot has actually been getting in everywhere, she now stands a good chance of getting in for actress, which is good because nobody wants an outcome where only Ryan Gosling gets nominated and Margot Robbie does not. That being said, of course, we got to keep in mind that if Margot Robbie ends up getting best actress, she's basically taking Greta Lee from past lives spot, which again, is just disappointing and uncomfortable so with that um i know we had a, already a couple of tangents in there but who is ahead emma or lily well i guess right now you have you got to say it's emma and you saw the love for emma stone in those rooms for critics choice and for um the golden globes and bafta and sag i mean i guess at this point if you look at that category for the baftas you could I think it's already assured Emma Stone is going to win that BAFTA. At that point, she will be the Golden Globe winner, the Critics' Choice winner, and the BAFTA winner. 
that's already kind of creating a bit of an undeniable um, energy to her, um, I guess, domin- her supremacy at this point in the race. Um, it, which tells you that Lily Gladstone needs to win that Screen Actors Guild Award. If she doesn't win that, it, it may very well be over for her. Um, opening up my phone here so I can share with you what I currently have um, for these uh, predictions. I'm using the award the award expert um, app uh, that you can download anywhere. I think Brother Bro. Uh, were the ones who created this. It's a really a nice feature, um, and I'm glad somebody did because um, it, it, it's it's just nice to have this presentation available um, instead of just me and my notes as I usually do. So okay, I'm gonna go through these and I'm just gonna lay them all out, lay them all out at you. Okay, so the ten films that I have um, in for picture, my predictions: Oppenheimer, The Holdovers, uh, Poor Things, Barbie. Killers of the Flower Moon, Anatomy of the Fall, Past Lives, Maestro, American Fiction, and The Zone of Interest. Um, no other movie really stands a chance at um, coming in here. Um, it, it just hasn't happened. All the other alternatives are weak. May-December has flatlined with SAG and BAFTA. It's basically been knocked out. Color Purple... Everybody hated it, apparently, because it's not getting in anywhere. Spider-Man, they don't like animated films in this category, apparently. Saltburn, too divisive. Iron Claw, never got off the ground. All of Us Strangers, not enough support. Air, again, not enough support. So that's it. I don't see anything else getting in for picture. So that's that. Um, For director, I have Chris Nolan Oppenheimer, Scorsese for Flower Moon, Yorgo Lanthimos for Poor Things, um, Alexander Payne for The Holdovers and Jonathan Glazer for The Zone of Interest. Um, this is so unbelievably um, upsetting to me that I that I, I don't think Greta at this point um, stands a chance anymore to get in. And then The Holdovers is something else where I'm just like, it's now essentially moved in as the main challenger to um, Oppenheimer. And I got to be honest with you guys, I am feeling a lot of resentment and envy because this film is a very good movie. Great even in spaces with great performances that deserve to be nominated and in some cases win. I don't understand what is going on where this movie is performing as good as it is over literally every other film in this category, which I feel is far better. Maestro notwithstanding, obviously. That's that's a movie that I feel like shouldn't even be anywhere near um, this conversation, but it, it is and it will be because of the popularity of Cooper, and that's that. But Holdovers... I've, I've seen it now twice, and I gotta say, it's just not captured my... It hasn't dazzled me the way that it has everybody else. I kind of feel like, what, what what's going on? I, feel, I think where, where the envy is coming from is that this movie is really beginning to perform the way that people thought Fablemans would have performed last year, but just didn't. And that film just did not connect and did not resonate with audiences... Uh, at, at uh, the way that this movie is. And part of me, I will say, I'm just jealous because like 
but why though? You know, Fablemans is a far more. Well, I guess it works out because it is a far more interesting movie, and I think people are going to be looking back on that movie quite more fondly than this because Holdovers is pretty. I do not want to use the word generic because that's just not fair. It, it, but it is standard um, Academy fare. It, it is the standard Academy fare that a lot of people were accusing the Fablemans of being, and yet. This film is just beloved, beloved, beloved. But I, I, I just don't understand how this is more beloved than Past Lives, Poor Things, Barbie even, Flower Moon. It, it just, it, it, we're not of a fault. It, it absolutely kind of confounds me. The same way it confounds me that Divine Joy Randolph is winning everything. She, did, she, she was great in the film. But her winning every award for supporting actress is just like, well, I guess she's the obvious one. I don't feel that way. There were amazing supporting actress performances. What about Danielle Brooks or Taraji P. Henson in The Color Purple? They were, I, and I'm sorry, they were better than Davine Joy Randolph. Also, Davine wouldn't be winning if Lily Gladstone had just remained in supporting right now. And there wouldn't even be a risk of Lily Gladstone losing an Oscar. If she had remained in supporting, because she would have been winning everything. So, yeah, uh, which more to the point, Alexander Payne being in here over Greta Gerwig is gross, over Justine Triette, over Celine's song. Um, not great. Um,. All right, for actress, my predictions are Emma Stone, Lily Gladstone, Sandra Cooler uh, for Anatomy of a Fall, Carrie Mulligan for uh, Maestro, and Margot Robbie for um, Barbie. I would uh, love if Carrie... I would have. I would, I would swap Carrie for Greta Lee, but that's just not happening. In actor, I have Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer, Paul Giamatti for Holdovers, Bradley Cooper for Maestro, Coleman Domingo for Rustin and Leonardo DiCaprio for Flower Moon. Again, Leo, I'm not at that point where I'm going to just remove him. Everybody else is because he missed SAG and BAFTA. And it may very well be that he's already been eliminated. Um, but I just feel like he's Leo. He doesn't really miss. So, yeah, Fablemans didn't really miss many nominations last year. And I don't. And even though Killers is going to follow that same trajectory, I don't think it'll miss key categories. I'm not quite sure if Jeffrey Wright is strong enough to unseat him. But the other four are good. And I'm most happy for Coleman Domingo because he is somebody who is a tremendous presence and has been working for a very, very long time. And so him being in here is more so for him. Because I do, I don't, I, he gave a great performance in Rustin, but it, I mean, it, it's not a great film, obviously. So, um, but again, he's been out there enough. He's had two big roles this year with that in Color Purple. It's definitely like it's time to give this guy something. Um, so I would be very happy to see him be included in this list. Um, supporting actress: Divine Joy Randolph, Danielle Brooks for The Color Purple, Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer, Penelope Cruz for Ferrari, and Jodie Foster for Naya. Those last two. Um, 
I would prefer others like um, Claire Foy and All of Us Strangers or Rosamund Pike and Saltburn, even America Ferreira. I, I don't even care. Fuck it. That would be far more interesting. But these two, Penelope Cruz and Jodie Foster are beloved individuals in this industry. Um, their films are not great or not being responded to the way that they would um, you would like to see um, to even put them in positions of being predicted in the first place. But they are that well-known and that well-beloved that I think that by itself will coast to them uh, to filling out these last two spots in this category. Uh, supporting actor, RDJ Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling, Barbie, De Niro for Flower Moon, Defoe uh, for a Poor Things, and Ruffalo for Poor Things. I am not taking off Ruffalo. <laughs> I'm not going to put Sterling K. Brown. I'm not going to put Charles Melton. And I'm not going to put Dominic Sessa. If it ends up that this burns me, whatever. I'm not going to consider anybody else. Original screenplay. Anatomy of a Fall, The Holdovers, Past Lives, Maestro, and Saltburn. Um, this one, may I may end up changing. I don't know. I'm thinking of just putting in May-December back in here because um, it, it, it you would think it would get something in here. So, uh, But that's ultimately what this comes down to is those six films. Um, adapted. Oppenheimer, Barbie, Flower Moon, Poor Things, American Fiction, that's it. Um, there could be a potential spoiler in All of Us Strangers um, in this category um, because of how well it did at BAFTA. Not overwhelmingly well, but it did very well at BAFTA. It could sneak in here. I don't know what the hell it would unseat, but it could happen in here, which I did see that, by the way, and it has already become one of my favorite movies of the year, All of Us Strangers, uh, directed by Andrew Hay, starting Andrew Scott, um, and Paul Mescal, Jamie Bell, and Claire Foy. Um, it is a, a, a powerful film. It is a very emotional movie. Um, there were so many people who were sniffling and crying all around me when I saw it last week. There was even this woman who was so overcome and she couldn't stop crying that he had, she had to like excuse herself, I think twice, because of how much it was making her cry. Uh, I felt really bad for her. I don't know if it triggered some kind of emotional traumatic thing that just happened to her. I don't know. What, I can't speak to it, but it was a really good movie. Um, and already one of my favorites of the year. International feature have Zone of Interest, The Taste of Things, Society of the Snow, 20 Days of Mariupol, and Fallen Leaves. I have seen, I think, only two of these. I need to see, I need to check out some of the other films. I know that um, in the international film space, I have seen some of these. Um, I don't know if, they, if some of these have made the long list or not. Let me just check them out here. Um, no, I don't think Monster is on here, but I did see Monster and I did see The Teacher's Lounge. Both are very good and worth checking out. Um, um, I, I, I do need to see Fallen Leaves and Society of the Snow and Taste of Things, among other ones, for sure. Um, but it, I think um, this is what that one's going to be. Animated feature, got Spider-Man, Boy in the Heron, Elemental, Nimona, and uh, Turtles. Cinematography of Oppenheimer. Uh, a lot of interest, Flower Moon, Maestro and Poor Things, Editing, Oppenheimer, Flower Moon, Poor Things, Holdovers, and Anatomy of a Fall, Production Design, Barbie, Poor Things, Oppenheimer, Flower Moon, and Zone of Interest, Costume Design, Barbie, Poor Things, Flower Moon, Napoleon, and Oppenheimer, Makeup and Hairstyling, Maestro, Poor Things, Oppenheimer, Flower Moon, and the Society of the Snow, Visual Effects, um... Creator, Guardians 3, Godzilla Minus 1, Indiana Jones, and uh, Society of the Snow. Sound, 
Oppenheimer, Flower Moon, Maestro, Ferrari, Zone of Interest, Score, Oppenheimer, Flower Moon, Spider-Verse, Zone of Interest, and Indiana Jones. Original song, um, uh, two from Barbie, What Was I Made For? And I'm Just Ken. From Rustin, Road to Freedom. From The Fire Inside, that's the Diane Warren obligatory spot for Flamin' Hot. And then Quiet Eyes, Past Lives. Documentary short, I have the ABCs of Book Banning, The Last Repair Shop, The Barber of Little Rock, Black Girls Play a Story of Hand Games, and Camp Courage. Um, for uh, docu- for animated short, I have Letter to a Pig, Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Studio, Pete, War is Over, uh, and Dog Apartment. And then for uh, the live action short, I have The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, The Anne Frank Gift Shop, The After, Red, White, and Blue, and The Shepherd. Um, so that's just quickly running through what I think is going to happen in some of these categories. Um, but they may well, may very well just end up being, um, completely nonsense and surprises may happen, um, by the time we get to Tuesday. So yeah, that's kind of where we are. Um, so I'm gonna, you know, still be checking out some of these films for the next month or so. I don't know what the first big movie is going to be of this new year yet because again as i've been saying that you know january's to me are not really the beginning of the new year for movies that's more so like february or even sometimes in march because i'm just like you know i've been catching up on a lot of the short films and yeah, the documentary films uh, um and there's still so many to see i've seen a lot and there's still a lot to see it's kind of like really overwhelming because it kind of almost feels like there's no end in sight i mean i still haven't seen zone of interest i still haven't seen um may december even though i can i haven't seen society of the snow um or perfect days or fallen leaves um and so i'm just you know wanting to check those out um and hopefully get to them in time to uh, see if any of those end up producing any kind of meaningful wins. Anyway, um, we're going to go ahead and end off there. Uh, just a short one for you guys, um, just to give you something. And then we'll be, back, we'll be back next week for more content and more. Stay under our spotlight every single Sunday for more podcasts. Um, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.